Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, November 19th, 2021, episode number 208. 208. 208, brother. Whew. You know what next week is? Next Friday. 209. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's getting up yep, there, dude. Yep, 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 yep. What's, uh, what's going on in Doobler land? Not a whole lot since the last time I talked to you. Got to spend the weekend. Actually, got to spend Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening with my daughter. Went and had some uh, some good food at Taco Casa and then went shopping for a little bit and watched some Oklahoma State football, which I'm not an Oklahoma State fan, but she is because she went there. My Oklahoma Sooners had already got beat, so I was already down in the dumps, but then Oklahoma State came out and they played tough. So it was, I was, it was not going to be the one to bring that up. Ugh. Baylor. It's just... Baylor's good though. Baylor, what Baylor is going has on? Baylor has our number, but what was weird is TCU the week before beat Baylor yep. and then Oklahoma State beat TCU. So it's the Big 12 is getting really really tight right now. So Well, uh, I definitely uh having gone to East Carolina University. ECU? Yeah. I, I uh I am not a fan of TCU because they beat us pretty bad in a bowl game a few years back. And what's crazy to me is, too, is TCU lost their coach like two weeks ago. Then they came out, they beat Baylor, and now Oklahoma State just beat them. But, uh, yeah, it's it's so crazy. You know, college football is huge right here in Oklahoma. Uh, Wait a minute. Pro teams. What? You can talk other sports? I, I can talk some college football, and I can talk about my Denver Broncos a little bit. Dude, I... I'm in. I'm back in the Carolinas, and there was a mm-hmm. hell of a sports day in the Carolinas well, yesterday. So yeah, I got to talk about Cam, that a little bit. Cam Newton is back. He got yeah. in trouble for doing that, <laughs> dude. And I know everybody was like shaking their head. Oh gosh, but dude, uh-huh. man, that guy's gone through hell the past year and a half. Not really. He's loaded. I'm sure he's got tons of well, money, but like he couldn't like do he what said, he loved where like, he wanted to do like, it. <laughs> Like he said one year ago, I was sitting on my couch watching football, eating cereal. <laughs> yeah, that was his answer. He's like, so, I, I loved yeah. It. I loved it. I, I, I love the personality. Dude, the energy in this city, everybody's going nuts. The team. Yeah. And then look what the Hornets did. Like, I don't know if you've seen it, but like. No, I didn't, I didn't see that. So, Panthers played Arizona. That was 8-1. and one, one of the best teams. Right. In, and Not right. expected and to win, game. probably. And they, right. and they, they won. Mm-hmm. Hornets played the Golden State Warriors, number one team in the NBA. Same kind of deal, and they beat them wow. last night. Wow. So it's cool. it's it's amazing what that kind of stuff can do for motivation and and uh, and drive it, and it's in a sports. I don't know. It it, cha- it changes everybody's attitude a little bit. Like when you walk into the convenience store, people are excited. They they a little pep in their step. And it, I know yep. it's just sports, but it you know especially when we went a year or so without you know and fans yep. weren't allowed to go to some of that stuff i think i think it helps the country uh and just the aura of everything i mean like here it's all college football um and well we have the oklahoma state thunder too but but yeah it's 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 crazy that a sport can change that and i'm gonna i'm gonna tie it back to flat track because we have to get back to this at some point in this episode but uh True. i think if and we've talked about this many of times mm-hmm. offline if you bring up the riders as local heroes there could be something similar there. And I think that, you know, right. that's one of the biggest things around sports teams, right? You, your local team, your home team, or your team that you've cheered for the whole time. Like, if you follow these riders as kids and build them from the amateur days, I, I think there's something right. to be said there, um, similar to other sports and, and your local teams. I don't know. Well, well, just like we had Johnny Lewis on last week, and, and what he's doing for his kids at that race is putting them in front of a big crowd. 
introducing them with their starting lineup like I do at AFT, which is cool. Some of those kids don't ever get that. Like yeah. at almost all, every amateur race I go to, you line them up in staging, you come straight to the track and you go straight to work, you know, go straight to the races or whatever. So him doing that for these kids is, is huge. It's going to feel like a grand national for those kids. It absolutely is, man. I've been talking to him a lot since we did that episode. I'm actually going to go up there a week early. Um, so I'm leaving later this week and uh, just going to hang out with him and uh, make some content leading up to it, kind of see the lay of the land. It's something we haven't done a lot with Left Out is get there a week in advance Be- and kind of, before. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and try try to help set the stage a little bit so everybody knows well, what's coming into what they're coming into. And, and, and a place like that, you got to build the racetrack too. You know, oh, most yeah. of the racetracks, most of the racetracks we go to are already established racetracks. So yep. you're going to get to see that firsthand too. Like when you get there, it's going to be loose dirt. It's going to be probably tilled up because it's a rodeo yeah. type arena. Um, so he's got to pack that in. You know, design the course, lay out the course, and uh, you know, hang the banners. There's there's yeah. so much that goes into a race that a lot of people don't ever see. Because when they get there, the racetrack is already set up. So uh, I think that's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a new experience for you and maybe for the folks on Left Out. Well, and just like when I went and hung out with the Waters for that week leading up to their event, right? Like seeing how a race team prepares for a weekend, seeing how a promoter prepares lead- the week leading up to his race. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it's crazy that I've already kind of seen so much of the sport, but there's so much yet to see still and new right, experiences right. still. Um, but I don't know, man. Every time I get that to that next layer a little deeper into it, I realize there's more shit that I'll never probably ever, ever really know or understand. Uh, but it just makes me want to kind of see what the next thing is. So, well, um, I, and I like I like that you got to hang out in the water shop because there's something to do every day in the shop. I mean, 100. If if you're not planning for this weekend coming up, you're already planning for the next weekend. You're already getting the next bike ready for the next race. And you know, with they they were helping out the NKR team, so they had so many bikes to build and maintain and go through. I'm sure I'm sure somebody as smart as Dave probably has a log of which bike he's done stuff to. Some people keep it up here, but when mm-hmm. you have that many motorcycles, you kind of have to document it. Like this bike's had two races on it, you know, and this bike's had four races. Time to tear it down, put, you know, check check the valves and all that fun stuff. Uh, there's there's just so much behind the scenes that that goes on in a race shop, you know. Yeah, as if I didn't already have an, enough respect for somebody like Dave Waters, man. Just seeing him do that and how he does that and the discipline he has and everything that he wants to make sure is buttoned up before that truck even leaves his house, right? Like, it's pretty cool to see. And they're going to be there this weekend, so could catch up with Dave and Rhonda, see them, and uh, there'll be a lot of people up there, I said, this weekend. Sure. Next weekend. But uh, but yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's, it's going to be cold as hell, which I'm not prepared for. I don't have clothes for, but I'll be all right. <laughs> You better go to Walmart. I <laughs> know it, right? <laughs> um, well, speaking of promoters, you want to get into this week's episode? Yeah, I can't wait. This one's exciting, too. And this is a guy I have I think we've raced each other a few times, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember. But I think he was kind of just getting more into it. And I was, I was kind of leaving. I know uh, he grew up from uh, up in Wisconsin. It was kind of like our little theme we got going on. We got interrupted last week of Johnny Lewis. But another Wisconsin Ryder now runs a series. Let's do it. I, I'm excited. It's Jeremy DeRyder. Used to be national number 34, and now he's still number 34, but in the Grand National Hooligan Championship Series. Some more hooligan fun. Let's get it. Can I speak to national number 34, please? You got him. <laughs> What's going on, Jeremy? I heard, I heard you're like a in the post office. You're in the shipping business now, too. What are you doing? Yeah, just hustling some parts out. Uh, just got some foot peg brackets shipped off to australia for a hooligan and uh, getting some triple clamps sent out to some local guys so yeah just trying to hustle some parts out the door 
Are, are you telling me that Hooligan is now worldwide? It is. It is. Just became worldwide today. So um, <laughs> glad. I'm glad it's not too worldwide yet because shipping's not that easy. No kidding. Well, cool, man. I want to talk about the Grand National Hooligan Championship, but first I want to get to know you a little bit more before we uh, talk about what's going on with, with your series. So I know you're from Wisconsin, but were you born up there? Yeah, uh, born raised, still here. Um, was born in West Bend. G.R. Schnabel is actually my next-door neighbor, my immediate neighbor, who's the, he's the one that got me into it all. And So, yeah, born and raised in West Bend, lived there most of my life, uh, and I moved about maybe 20 minutes away, um, so still relatively close. Wow, it's, it's crazy because we've had a couple of other Wisconsinites on recently. We had Jeremy Prack on, and then you know, or before that was slow. So it seems like we had a little Wisconsin theme going on right now. But I, I didn't ask those guys or tell them. But you know, you can move away from the cold, right? You don't have to stay up there, right? I know that's that's in the plans. Uh, I've been wanting to move <laughs> away, but unfortunately, kids are too little yet, so we have to stay here for a few more years. How many kids do you have? I have two stepdaughters. Okay. So they gotta gotta stay local for a while. Are, are they interested in riding motorcycles at all? I have a little one, a little bit. Um, she rides the little four wheeler that I have for her, and um, got a CRF fifty that she'll putz around on once in a while. But no, they don't have the the racing competitive blood in them. I got gotcha. you. Let, let's get to know you a little bit more. So you said you grew up. Actually, before we do that, I've probably butchered your last name more than I butchered anybody else's because. It's never been taught to me how to say your last name. I've heard Jeremy DeRyder. I've heard DeRuder. Tell me how to say your last name. DeRyder. DeRyder, huh? Like, do I say it with a T or a D? There's a T in it, so I'd say T. DeRyder. DeRyder. Okay. All right. I'll try to to stop screwing that up. You know, I mean, it's only only been a few years since I've uh, talked about you. (laughs) All good. All right. So so you said you grew up next to J.R. Schnabel. He was number 33. You're number 34. Did he get you onto a motorcycle first or did your parents get you onto a bike or is it something you just just jumped on and did? No, they did. Um, his dad was a, a racer, too. He raced um, some motorcycles and four wheelers, three wheelers. So when I was finally old enough to uh, really realize what was going on, um, J.R. is about six months older than me. So He's always had toys and um, motorcycles, four-wheelers, all that stuff. So we were always hot-rodding around the neighborhood. And, um, yeah, kind of got hooked. They invited me out to come out their um, or their grandpa owned a roller rink that had a big parking lot in, which is where their shop was at the time. And uh, GR would go and practice in the gravel parking lot. So they invited me out one day and rode around on his modified PW, and I was hooked ever since. No kidding. That's that's awesome. Do you do you remember your first race? I do. It was at uh, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. It was a, a half mile, and um, I remember being so proud of all my new gear that I just got and went out there, came off a of turn four in the main event, like two laps in, got in a big old speed wobble, chucked me off, just oh. missed the fence post. And uh, so, yeah, that was my debut. It, it wasn't real impressive, but, um, yeah, I always remember that. I was I, mad I because I wrecked my new gear. Of course, of course. You can't be mad about anything else. Maybe I was scratching your bike, I guess. But uh, Right. Yeah, so I can't believe you, they just threw you out on a half mile for your first race. Yeah, that was it. That was the first one that came up on the schedule that season. So loaded up, and uh, that's where we went. 
I guess it's sink or swim, I guess. So, so did you like going fast right away? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. So, uh, that was a crazy thing. We started off on the, the modified PWs, which is what they had back then. So I, I think the thing was actually like a 60 or 65 CC, mm-hmm. a big up pipe. Um, yeah, never rode a stock one just straight to the modified and, they had that for a year, and then uh, they eliminated that class, so we ended up buying a, a brand-new PW, which then they had to be stock, and uh, that wasn't a lot of fun because it was so much slower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just progressed through the ranks. Did you did you go pro when you turned 16, or did you did you wait a little while? No, I ended up waiting a little while. Um, we didn't have a, a ton of money or a ton of equipment um, to start doing the pro ranks when I was 16 uh, i believe i was about 18 roughly um when i finally turned pro and um mainly did a lot of the local stuff like back then we had a, the buzz simmons races um there's a lot of fair races around the area so gr and i would pretty much uh hook up and just go hit all those as many as we could during the week and uh you know that's how we kind of earned our advancement points um like we had to get back then so got them on the 250s and then it was 500 600s and then finally we could become experts so um if i were right did you travel with him a lot too i mean it sounds like you guys raced a lot but did you you guys travel together yeah we did i mean pretty much our whole career he we uh pretty much traveled almost every race together especially uh once i started doing the the pro circuit you know the aft stuff um you just it made more sense. We live next to each other, cut down on expenses, you know, make it easier to drive so we're not killing killing ourselves driving all night. So, yeah, plus it was a lot of fun, you know, traveling with your best friend. It's always a good time. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I travel with my best friend, but my best friend then was my dad, and, and it was just me and him most of the time. Every once in a while, we'd catch another rider to, to throw in there to throw in some gas money. But, man, having that little extra person, I mean, traveling from Wisconsin, not a lot of the big races were close by, so it's always a long drive, right? So it's definitely worthwhile to have somebody to go with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. I mean, his dad would always go. My dad would go to most of them. Um, once in a while, we'd have a buddy or two that would tag along. So, yeah, we made, we made our own fun. What's your favorite memory as an amateur racer? I have to say probably the amateur nationals uh, up at I-96. Um, that was kind of when uh, I believe I was maybe around 13 or 14 riding 250 class. Um, race against Brian Smith, uh, the Hayden brothers. Dan Kaufman from over there was really fast. Josh Butler. Had a lot of fun racing those guys at, at that stage of my career and, and being able to battle with them, with those guys and uh, really see what it was like to try to step up to that next level. How hard was it going pro? I mean, was it a big difference for you? Um, not really. I mean, I, I guess we raced a lot, you know, with the with the same guys as we progressed through. And obviously, once you got to the top level, and you know, racing against Parker and Carr and those types of guys, I mean, that's a that's a huge step. But I don't know. I always uh, go to the local races and could run with those guys and beat them, and um, you know, have a lot of fun. But once I got to the the national, they just, I don't know, just seemed to choke and never really got it done, but uh, certainly had a lot of fun. So what race did you earn your, your first national main event at? Where, where was that at? Oh, that was at the Peoria TT. That no kidding. First, cool. First one I ever, yeah, I had a love-hate relationship with that place. <laughs> um, when, we, when we raced for all Texas, I ended up putting one uh, down into the creek and 
just never really could could get a grasp on it. And then I had maybe uh, three or four years where, you know, finally figured out the jump and, and put it all together and um, had some decent results. And like I said, that was the first one I ever made. What uh, what place did you finish? I believe it was like 13th or 14th. Um, I ended up getting laps with a few laps to go. I think Murphy was leading it at the time. GR was second, so tried to throw a little block on Murph and call my buddy <laughs> out, but um, <laughs> no, nah, I tried to get out of the way when they were coming through. Yeah, dude, it's it's impressive to to make to make your first main event. It's always a big deal. I mean, it's it's not as big now because you know in the in a couple of the classes you pretty much go there, you're in. But you know, I think I would compare it to maybe the singles class. You're making their first main event. It's it's pretty tough, and uh, especially racing gets that stiff competition. So you held national number thirty four from two thousand seven to two thousand and sixteen. Do you have a favorite uh, racing memory as a pro rider? I think Peoria would have to be uh, probably probably my best memory. Um, obviously that was my first national. I, I only made two in my career, so not a lot to, uh, write home about in that sense, but, um, it's just a, a good one. I mean, was, me and my dad were, were running the team out of, out of his garage and, um, doing everything on our own, paying our own bills. So that was pretty special. He was able to, to be there with me with all the hard work he's put in and, um, you know, all the support he was there. So yeah, it was, it was a cool deal. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of riders, you know, especially back in the day, never even make a, a Grand National main event. So just doing that and holding that national number uh, is saying something. So, I mean, I know it, it doesn't sound like you're, you're, you're too proud of your accomplishments, but but you have to be. I mean, just making that main, especially at Peoria, uh, congratulations on doing that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely something to be proud of. Like you said, a lot of people don't get to experience that and and do that. So, um, yeah, it was a good accomplishment, but at the same point, um, kind of feel like I never really lived up to my expectations and, and maybe what I thought my talent level was, uh, right, right. but it is what it is. So you made it up to row taxes. Uh, what other bikes? I think I remember you on a Suzuki twin, if I'm not mistaken, right? What, what other big bikes did you ride? Yeah, um, I did. I, I bought a Suzuki Twin um, from the factory team when uh, Jake and Gr were riding for them. Um, I ended up renting one from them for out at Pomona to try one out, see if I liked it, and uh, had a lot of fun with that. So I ended up buying three bikes from them that winter and um, kind of switched my whole program over to Suzuki's. And um, I also rode for Hall's Harley-Davidson, um, rode their Harleys for a season, uh, Patriot Harley Davidson, um, right after Sean Bear, I believe, got off of those uh, with Bob Barry. I believe that's about it. For well, I take that back. I did ride for uh, Innovative Technologies um, out of Wisconsin. He had bought Brett Byers' old uh, XR, and oh, cool. Um, we had freshened up, bought a new frame for it. So that was actually the first uh, XR that I ever rode. Awesome. Why? Why were you number thirty-four? Is it just because you're next door to Jr. and this next number bigger, or why? Why'd you pick thirty-four? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I thought it just would look good on the number plate. To be honest, there wasn't a ton of numbers open, so just kind of scanned the list of what there was and thought I'd get rid of the old eighty-one and try something different. Okay, I like I like forty-three, but I'll, I'll let you slide with thirty-four. I mean, we're using the same numbers, just different order. I, I like it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what made you stop racing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, you had national until 2016. When did you walk away from the pro scene? 
Um, I kind of walked away from it about 2008, roughly. Um, I wrote, I rode a local race and, uh, got in a wreck with some guys and shattered my legs. So, um, that set me back pretty good. It was about nine months before I could walk again and, mm. uh, multiple surgeries. And I tried to come back. I rode a few nationals after that, but, um, just never felt the same and just, uh, wasn't real comfortable out there anymore. So kind of hung it up uh, as far as myself riding and, I had a lot of 450s at the time, so kind of got involved with um, Tiffany Sloan, a good friend of mine. She was riding one of my bikes for a bit, and then when Hayden Gillum turned 16, um, he was riding my bikes as well. So, um, yeah, just kind of gotten involved with the sponsorship part of it, and after that, did some rental rides and let some other guys ride them, and had a lot of fun with that. And then uh, kind of quit motorcycle stuff all together for a year or two and i went and tried my hand at stock car racing and mm. um found out how expensive and hard that was <laughs> and uh <laughs> quit that and started the hooligan thing that's why we, we wanted to call talk about the hooligan but what i i just talked to jeremy proc you know flat out friday and he raced cars before he got involved in motorcycles so it's a small world you know it it is it is the the car thing's really fun definitely feel more safe but you need a big wallet to, to go do that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about the Grand National Hooligan Championship. Did you start that series or was it started and now you run it? Tell me the, tell me the history uh, of of the series now. Yeah, it all started um, basically at the, the local Harley shop. Um, my friend Louis Lauders and myself, uh, he's, they always helped me out for a long time. And um, we're just kind of shooting the breeze the one day at the shop and they had built a, a hooligan for another local guy and um well we were just kind of talking about it and he built one for himself and i always swore i would never race a sportster again after racing the add three days and uh they had talked me into doing flat out friday of all races and mm-hmm. uh, he had a training bike that was cheap so we slammed that thing together in about a week and a half and uh went and did flat out friday and i was like oh it's, they're actually pretty fun when they're set up right so um, did that. And then we just kind of progressed from there and more and more guys were thinking about doing it. And we thought, well, maybe we should start a class locally and, and just kind of try to get it going. I know it was a, a big scene with rolling fans and, and those guys out on the West coast. So we thought, well, maybe we'll try to do something in the Midwest. So we threw a rough schedule together and just mainly Wisconsin based, uh, for the first season. And there's quite a bit of interest in it. So, uh, we just, kind of kept progressing from there um i think he was involved for about two years and then he kind of stepped aside to to do some other things and i decided to keep running with it and keep it going and now we uh now we're at today yeah I, i look back a couple of seasons it looked like only about 11 races in 2019 up to about 12 in 2020 this year it seems like that the, the the schedule looked like it was as long as the aft schedule and you still have four rounds left so how how do you think that, that it's progressed that that far so fast i think you know a lot of it i believe just has to do with the riders that are involved i mean we have a lot of good guys from some ex-pros to you know really good i guess we'll call them amateurs but um i don't really consider them amateurs just guys that never went through the ranks or did that but have a ton of talent uh, and really nice equipment. And I think people are starting to see that and, you know, we're trying to put some money out there for the guys to, to help with their expenses and travel and entry fees and those types of things. So we pay back pretty, pretty well on that. And, um, you know, it's, 
a cool deal because it, you always have somebody to race with, whether you're, you know, at the front of the pack or at the back of the pack, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, there's tons of people with all different skill levels and skill sets. So there's always somebody to go race against and, uh, guys just really seem to enjoy it. So one, one thing that I noticed, and it's a little different than AFT, AFT, I think, you know, a, a lot of the people there are there, they're serious about the sport and, and racing. And it seems like when you go to, to one of your events, which is kind of piggyback sometimes on like a Steve Nace race or a Robbie Bobby race, or, you know, like at the race at uh, the RPM race at Lima, it seems like you guys in that little hook and click are having fun. And I love that. Yeah, I mean we do. We have a good time. We we're as competitive as you know the AFT guys. Nobody, we don't want to lose to each other, and uh, so it's super competitive. But at the end of the day, I mean, like I said, it's a lot of really good people. Um, everybody's out there to have a good time and you know not do anything dumb. We all have to go to work on Monday, and um, you know if anybody has an issue with their bikes, everybody's happy to help in. And you know what do you need for parts? What can I help you with? Here, you want to ride my bike? Um, you know, so it's an awesome community where, yeah, we take it serious, but at the end of the day, we know that, you know, this isn't our full-time, full-time job. We're not going to get rich off of this. So let's just have fun with our buddies and go out and beat each other and have a beer after we're done. So who's leading the points right now with the final four rounds coming up in Pensacola? So Cole King, he's, uh, he's had a fantastic year. Um, he built the new KTM 790 this over the winter and, uh, he's been he's been paddling us on that thing. He's just got a little extra. Um, he's leading the points. I believe he has five wins so far this year. So uh, he's had a really strong season. Um, I'm second right now, and I believe Jacob Jesco, my teammate, uh, is third. Okay. So one thing I did notice is there are through two throwaways. So um explain that so that means that if you can't make it to a round it's not going to hurt you so bad is that the the thinking behind the you know throwing away two bad results yeah that's that's what the the thought process was um and mainly we did it just because we know like i said we're not making a living doing this but at the same point we also understand people have work commitments family commitments um you know maybe just travel is too far to go to a certain race so in order to uh keep the interest in the series um, we decided to put some throwaway races in there. So basically, if we have a 12 races at the end of the year. Uh, only the top, your top 10 results get scored. Um, so if you if you have a bad day, you fall down, or your bike breaks, or you just can't make it, um, those get thrown out. And we do that just to keep the interest in. That way, if you if you don't, you know, if you do miss one race, you're not knocked out of the championship. And it's just to kind of encourage participation more and keep guys involved uh, all year. I like also about your series, you have an A main, and if you don't make it to the A main, you're not done for the night. You can run the B main, and you limit the number of riders into the mains, I believe, is 12. So it's not too congested out there with these great big bikes. Um, tell me, is that the thought press th- thought process behind the A main and the B main? Yeah, um, it is, and that's a lot of it. Um, like you said, the, we piggyback with a lot of, promo- a lot of really good promoters. Um, I don't have the time to promote all the races myself. So, uh, we work with the promoters and, uh, try to help support them as well as they support us. But yeah, the A main, I mean, obviously we, we do it to help speed the programs along too. Um, that way we don't have to run semis. 
uh, take directly out of heat races right to either the A or the B main. And also it, it gives the feedback that we had received from riders was they like the B main better because they're actually racing for something instead of just a semi. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're going home, whether with a win, whether it's an A main or B main win, it, it's still a win. So um, that always feels good, but yeah, I mean, the, the B main thing has been pretty popular with the guys and talked to them quite a bit to, to see if they would rather go to semis and, you know, only run an A main or if they like the format that we have. So, um, yeah, the feedback we've gotten has been really good with the B and um, guys are having a good time with that. I, I like it. I, I really do. I mean, I remember uh, as as an up-and-coming pro rider somewhere, I think Sacramento, uh, there's a whole handful of riders in the 600 support class or is the amateur day or whatever, but there's a pro class. And, and I, I had a problem in the A main, so I made the B main and I got a – a second or a third and I, I had one of the coolest trophies ever and i never, never thought i could get one for not making the main event so i like the idea of a b main event yeah no like i said it, it's good and it just gives guys more track time that's really kind of what it comes down to as well um you, know, you can't get better if you're not racing so um they have the same expenses in as you know the guy that goes and wins the a main so mm-hmm. we want to try to give them equal track time and uh let them have just as much fun how do you decide which promoters to work with? Do they reach out to you or do you reach out to other promoters? Cause I mean, the series is continuing to grow and I mentioned, you know, RPM, I mentioned Steve Nace, I mentioned Robbie Bobby. That's just a few that I can think of. Um, how, how do you decide who you're going to race with or do people reach out to you? Um, yeah, I've been really fortunate. Um, I have had a lot of promoters reach out and uh, ask us to come be part of their programs. So that, that makes it a lot easier, but I also look around and see what I guess I look at it as I race a lot of racetracks, uh, you know, coming through the ranks and remember what good racetracks were and what good racetracks weren't or bad racetracks were, I should say. Mm-hmm. But, um, so I kind of try to base it off of that and, you know, what's a cool experience. A lot of the guys, you know, they love going to Springfield short track because all well, for one, you know, it's broadcast, uh, and for two, it's, Springfield short track. So they're part of a, a bigger program and a, a bigger event, um, which helps uh, riders in and it gives them a cool experience that, you know, maybe they've never had before. That's awesome. I, I know there's a tough uh, overnighter, we'll call it June 5th in Galesburg. And then a lot of the guys piggybacked with each other and followed each other up to that uh, Elkhorn, Wisconsin race I was a part of. Are you going to do crazy stuff like that racing in, in, you know, that far apart, you know, overnight again? I mean, is that just the way the schedule worked out this year? Yeah, we we tried to do that in 2020 mainly, uh, schedule a lot of double headers just to help cut down on expenses and, you know, time away from home type of a thing so that, you know, you, you kind of kill two birds with one stone and, uh, unfortunately, well, we all know what happened in 2020. So, um, that didn't really pan out to really test that theory to see, um, how well that would work out and how guys liked it. Um, so then this year, yeah, we did, I, I still tried to do some of that if possible. Um, like I said, I just more did it for the fact of we could cut down, you know, maybe have eight race weekends instead of 12 race weekends mm-hmm. you know, that opens it up for other, other things to do. And, um, also helps cut down on some travel expenses. Gotcha. Just about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, time flies, but some big, big news came out from your series. 
Um, it's just not going to be one series next year. It's going to be a little bit of a regional series with the championship decided at the end of the year next year. Tell me how about that. Tell me about how that came about. It mainly came about, um, you know, we had a lot of guys from the Ohio area, Tennessee, um, South Carolina, some of those guys that really wanted to be part of the series, but it, it just didn't make sense logistics wise um, for them to be traveling up to the Midwest all the time and, and vice versa. Um, you know, like I said, everybody has to work. So you're limited on your vacation and, and those types of things. So um, I was trying to figure out a way to make it so these guys could, you know, be racing for something as well, but um, not have to travel so far or us travel really far to go down uh, to their races as well. And I know there's a lot of really good events out um, on the East Coast and the South uh, part of the United States, but I don't really know the promoters. I don't know the tracks very well. So um, I had put some feelers out with a couple guys to see uh, what their thoughts were. And I was really fortunate that uh, Rich Harverly, um and Chris Boone stepped up and uh, they're going to be running, running the South. And then I'll still oversee the whole thing and then uh, manage the Midwest series. So again, so with the regional events, you don't have to run every event. You can still be eligible for the overall championship, right? Yeah, what the goal is going, uh, the plan is right now is to um, have roughly a 10-race schedule um, somewhere around there um, for each division. And then at the end of the year, um, find a mutual location that we'll try to do between a two and three uh, race championship weekend and uh, invite like the top 10 in points from each division to come down and, and see who the overall uh, national champion would be. What, what kind of bikes are, are showing up? It seems like there's been a lot of Harleys. You, you mentioned King on, on the KTM. I've seen uh, a couple of triumphs. What other bikes are showing up on your series? Yeah. So we had um, Blake Berry. He ended up building a, a Kawasaki uh, 650. Um, Bobby Reese out of Illinois. He built two really nice FDO sevens. Um, some Yamahas, like you said, we've got, um, mainly sportsters. Cole's got the, uh, Cole has the KTM, um, Eric Moldenhauer over in Minnesota. He has a Royal Enfield. He's been at a few of our races. Um, they had said there's a triumph. I believe there's even, yeah, Ducati. Um, I mean, we've got a, a really good variety of brands and I think now, going forward we'll start start to see a lot more uh different bikes being built uh, especially after cole's strong performance this year absolutely um are you going to run flat out friday or is that uh, too close to the panhandle clash i was planning on it and um i had actually my buddy races uh asphalt stock cars and uh the weekend before the panhandle clash there's a, a big race down in pensacola uh, called the Snowball Derby. Yeah, I've been helping him out on his crew a little bit, and he had asked if I'd go down and help him out. So I had committed to that. Um, kind of forgot about flat out, to be honest. So, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bummer to, to go and miss that. That's such a good event, and Jeremy does such a good job with that. Yeah, it, it is. And, and uh, unfortunately, I can't make it there either. I'm doing an ice race down in Texas. So, uh well, um, before we let you go, we got Graham's question, and she, of course, knows CR. She watched you race uh, throughout your career, and, and she knows you Wisconsin boys like to go fast. But she wanted to know, did you ever think your series would grow this big and would grow this fast? 
No, I really didn't. Um, like I said, started off as just a, a fun thing for getting the local guys together. And um, it, it is really cool to see that it's, that it's growing this much and starting to get some more attention. And like I said, the main thing is just trying to create some, you know, good racetracks, premier series for all the hooligan guys. Um, I know sometimes the hooligan guys get a, a little bit of a bad rap, but um, the equipment that guys are building nowadays uh, is really nice. It sure is. I mean, it, it's as nice as the, uh, the, 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 you know, the 883 I raced on back when the 883 was part of the Grand National Series. I mean, I think some of those bikes are, are nicer than those even. I mean, they're, they're, they've came a long ways. Yeah, they're, they're pretty much full-blown race bikes now. Yeah, absolutely. So it's time for some rapid-fire questions. Uh, I'll ask you a question. You tell me what first thing comes to mind. Are you ready? Ready. Favorite bike you've ever ridden? XR 750. Favorite racetrack? Probably Peoria. Uh, I was, I was, I was figuring you're going to say that one. <laughs> I wasn't um, sure because, like I said, the love hate with that place. Yep, yep. One time in the creek, one time in the main event. I mean, you got to weigh it all out. The goods and the bads, of course. Uh, who's your favorite flat tracker of all time? I think Ricky Graham. Uh, what that guy did on a motorcycle was incredible. Yep, that's mine too. Absolutely. Who's your favorite hooligan racer? Myself. Right? I mean, that absolutely. Right I, that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for that one. Uh, who, who's your favorite person to go bench racing with? Oh man, JJ Flaherty. He's always a fun one. He uh, he's fun to pick on a little bit, but he can certainly <laughs> give it back and and give it back on the racetrack too. Okay. Who, who's the next first-time uh, champion in AFT? It doesn't matter which class. Next first time. Man, I, I think Chase Adoff in the singles, that kid's going to be – he's going to be a force to be reckoned with, that's for sure. He's on a, mm-hmm. a great team. And, um, man, kid's so smooth. So I, I think he's going to be – I think he's going to be the next big thing. Well, Dallas, but I think Chase will be right there with him. Cool. Who's the ne- who's the next first time champion in the hooligan class? I think maybe possibly my teammate uh, Jacob Jesko, a kid. Uh, he raced a little bit of flat track when he was little on sixties and eighties, and um, went out motocrossing. Really good at that, uh, but just super talented. I mean, he's never ridden a big bike on flat track at all, and you know this year he's got a win. Jumped on the Harleys and looks like he's a, a natural on him. So I think he's going to be the next hooligan champ. Okay. Best place for cheese curds in Wisconsin. Oh, are we talking deep fried or are we talking uh, regular squeaky cheese curds? Ooh, ooh. now my, my interest is peaked. I think I've only had uh, the deep fried. So actually give me both. Uh, I think we'll have to go at Saz's probably for the deep fried. That's a, a local restaurant. Okay. And uh, Beachwood Cheese Company. Uh, it's a real small town. Uh, not too far from me. But uh, yeah, when you get those, they... As soon as you bite into them, it's they're squeaky. You know they're fresh and they're warm when you get them, so that's even better. Squeaky, squeaky. I've never heard cheese called squeaky before. I love it. Are, are we going to hang out next? The good stuff yet, <laughs> exactly. I'm in Oklahoma. We don't have good cheese down here. <laughs> are we? Are we going to hang out next year when I come up for Dairyland Classic? I hope so. We'll, okay. we'll play right. around town. We'll have a good time. All right. That's what the other Jeremy said. So the, I'm gonna have the Jeremy and Jeremy tour. So uh, what, what's the best root beer in the world? I think Sprecher. 
There you go. There you go. That's what I wanted to hear. That's my favorite, too. It's the best I've ever had. Uh, I got a little different answer from the other, Jeremy, a little while ago. We're, we're going to have a debate later on. So uh, last question is uh, better, Strecker or Dr. Pepper. Oh, Dr. Pepper, by by all means, Dr. Pepper. But when you want something different, there's nothing better than a Sprecher root beer. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a Southern boy. Now, I, I mean, I grew, I was born in South Dakota, but I pretty much grew up in Oklahoma. So it's Dr. Pepper and sweet tea. It's pretty much all your choices down here. So, uh, you know, you got to adapt with your, your, your surroundings. So I'm like a chameleon. So that's why I do the Sprecher when I go up there. I'm just kidding. All right. The last question for you is what are you most proud of? I think, uh, my, you know, obviously I didn't get the results I wanted, but I felt like I always had a lot of respect in the paddock from guys. Um, you know, I never, never put up the results I wanted, but I mean, I always had people that were more than willing to, to help me out, give me advice, uh, loan me a bike, loan me parts, uh, things like that. So I think that's probably my, my best accomplishment, you know, in my racing career was just having the respect of my fellow competitors and team owners. Um, I, I feel like that goes a long way with, you know, a person's character and, you know, obviously what people think about you. So, um, yeah, well, my career maybe wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. Um, certainly made a lot of really good friends and, uh, lifelong memories for sure. And, and you, you know what, you did it and, and I did it too for like 11 years and, and living your dream and going from racetrack to racetrack, you know, hustling home to go to work and, you know, every little bit in between made us who we are. Yeah, absolutely. Last question for you is when, when's that, uh, 2022 hooligan schedule coming out? I'd love to have it out right now, to be honest, but uh, unfortunately, the way that the promoters that we work with, uh, their schedules usually don't come out. So we get a late start, which, which kind of hurts us with trying to find some sponsorship, which we're looking for. If anybody out there is uh, interested, trying to find some title sponsors and uh, even just local race sponsors. But um, yeah, I'm hoping to have it fairly finalized by about March. I know a lot of the the local districts um, have their awards banquets either December or January when they usually solidify their schedules and dates. So that's usually when we can kind of really get to work. And um, I know we'll have a lot of the same races we had this year. Um, great events, great promoters. So we'll have a lot of them back for sure, but I just don't know when the dates are going to be yet. You want more races next year or about the same amount? I think we're going to try to keep it somewhere, like I said, between that 10 and 12 races. Uh, that way it really doesn't overextend anybody and uh, burn anybody out. But uh, I'd love to I'd love to make it a big series someday if we can just uh, get it all together and, and find the resources. Well, it sounds like you're well on the way. I like the new idea of the regional series and, and leading up to the big overall national uh, championships. So, uh, hey, I just want to say thanks for coming on on the, the podcast with us. And, and before we let you go, do you want to say thanks to anybody? Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly want to thank you and Chris for, for bringing me on the program. Um, all the races that you have announced for us, greatly appreciate the support and the plugs that you give us. Um, definitely need to thank Suburban Harley-Davidson, Light Shoe, Russ Wernamont Designs, Saddleman, Super Trap. Man, all, anybody that's really supported the series over the years and helped us, you know, keep going and, and promoting it. So um, we obviously can't do it without, without those guys' help. And, you know, also I want to thank all the racers for, for supporting the series because we don't have, have guys showing up for that. Um, we obviously don't have anything to go race for. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. 
Hey, thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Another badass hooligan promoter, man, and rider, because he's no slouch on the bike either, right? No, he, he's pretty strong. I mean, he said that, you know, Cole King's been dominating this year, and, and that happens. You know, different people come in and, and dominate, but Jeremy's always up front in the hooligans. Uh, he's got a lot of support behind him, and, and I like that he is kind of in charge of the Grand National Hooligan Championship, but he works with other promoters to get all their stuff together. He's going to wrap up their season down with Robbie Bobby down in Pensacola at the, at the Panhandle Clash. That's coming up here real soon, like December 9th through 12th at three different tracks. So, you know, for, for him to work with other promoters, because I don't think right now the Grand National Hooligan Championship is a standalone type event. You'd have to right. bring in some other classes. So right now he's working with several different promoters, which is allowing them to go to other tracks. And now they're going to have a regional series next year. So it's on the it's on the up and up. With the press release a few weeks back, man, they got a lot of momentum going. They got a lot of cool things down uh, coming down the pike and uh, really look forward to seeing how that all comes together. The regional idea, I think, is brilliant. It's something that, like, I guess used to be kind of some way, somehow, somewhere. But it's not nothing I've really kind of seen or paid attention to because I've like been in the national circuit and kind of the amateur stuff and i don't know i haven't seen that but i think it like i mean back to what we were talking about in the intro like i think that you know you bring people up as a hometown hero or a regional hero like it just draws a lot more attention to those in a a concentrated area which kind of helps blow it up a little faster i would think i don't know and 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 there used to be regionals and so there'd be like they're like a you know, the Grand Nationals were up here. Then you'd have a regional. Well, the fastest of the fast usually would make it out of the regional would go to the Grand Nationals. You know, I mean, there was there used to be so many riders. It's hard to explain, but, like, you could have 300 riders in one class. You have to go out there and win your heat race, and you still might go home because they'd only take the, the winner out of the fastest 12 heat races to the main event. So that's that's back in the day. That's how it used to be. But his regional thing's a little bit different. It's it's His series is not for the professionals. It's, like, for people that have jobs – so they might not be able to travel from East Coast to West Coast just for one race. So uh, I like they're kind of splitting it up and they have one overall champion at the end of the year. So I, I like what they got going on. Uh, the Hooligan Series is getting bigger. And, and like I said, I think I think they're there to have fun. Mm-hmm. Where at AFT, I think some of the fun is missing. I think they're there more of as a profession, as trying, you, know, you know, laying it all on the line. And, you know, some of these Hooligan guys, they have to get up and go to work the next day. And and you know i think one 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 more to add on that is like at charlotte the track was not that great i'm gonna be honest right none of the hooligan guys crashed and that was the super hooligan series it wasn't the grand national hooligan championship but yeah none of them crashed because none of them were pushing the limits like we saw our pro riders doing to win championships you know to keep their sponsors happy and you know some of that you know pressure just builds up so i was very surprised at that but then now that i sit back you know, a few weeks removed from that, they weren't pushing it as hard as the AFT riders were because they didn't they didn't have to. Yeah. So the hooligans, I, I love it. It's getting more people involved. I mean, yep. people say, "Hey, that sports draft, I got one of those," or I, "I started riding on one of those," or 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 whatever. And people at home can relate to that. And so I I, I like the hooligans. I mean, I didn't at first because a lot of people were getting hurt. Yep. They, they're taking it. They're taking it a little bit more serious now. But the bikes are safer. I think that's good. Yeah. Well, and just like any professional sport, right? Like, usually the common man looks at that and is like, there's no way 
or woman, the common man or woman will look at that and say, there's no way I could ever get to that level. There's nothing I can right. do that's close to that. But that's what the Hooligan series offers, both of them. They, they offer an entry level, like, t- at that Twins, at that big bike uh, stage where you can get in and kind of try your hand at it to see, you know, if this is for you and, and you know, perfect those skills to maybe be professional one day. Or maybe you never made the professional ranks and you still want to do this at a serious level. Um, that's what the Hooligan series offers, and that's all around the country in two different series. It's pretty damn cool. I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, one thing we didn't talk about in the intro was Brian Smith out there kicking some butt on a mountain bike, dude. What do you... What? A, I mean, yeah, that's expected, but you're not surprised that I podiumed with him, dude? You podiumed? What? Do you, what? What? You didn't... Did you see this? No, no. I, you saw I thought You saw no, this. No, I... That you podiumed with him? I, Chris Carter, podium. Go look on his social, bro. It's a, So go to that post, swipe to the left, and it shows Brian Smith. And right under Brian Smith, Chris Carter. Chris Carter. He got second. Man. I got third. So check that off the Ooh. list. I podium with B. Smitty, son. Oh, man. Man, it's getting deep in here. <laughs> no, I, I can't even look at a mountain bike without sweating. I, I, and I would never be able to do what Brian Smith did. But hats it's- off to you, brother. Dude, he, he passed like 834 riders. Did you read Unreal. that? Unreal. Unreal. Like, and, and passed up to so many. I mean, they had waves of bikes. And I, man, that's, yeah, Brian Smith, you, I you think know he's probably, a, new, a new career after his flat track days. Absolutely. You know who probably looks at that and is like, damn, I should probably look into that. Thunder. Thunder would probably be right there with him. I don't know. Probably so. Thunder's, yeah. a, Thunder's a, a very talented guy on a bicycle on a motorcycle that we don't see because he's always running around with a gimbal or a camera or <laughs> he's, on his he, one wheel he's an animal on a, on a mountain bike but <clears throat> yeah but yeah but yeah um what else dude like oh did well, you see uh matt dillner was at osp for the final race the other night no but you told me that and i'm not surprised because he's doing yeah. that lost speedways with uh, dale earnhardt jr and yep. I, i'm not surprised because that track's going away that track's been in existence for 70 years and the last 70 seven zero that is a stat from my dad my dad loves that racetrack um i got i got a fun story for you yeah. about that track i know i'm getting sidetracked but this is after I retired, after I quit, however you want to look at it, after I walked away as a racer. Um, my dad put Greg Teague, uh, used to be National Mar 58, on our motorcycle down in uh, from down in Texas. And we, we went down there. Actually, I, don't, I, I was still staying away. I, I walked away from the sport for a little while. Um, but my dad hadn't had enough yet. He, he goes down there, and I, don't, I can't remember if we got first or second with Greg Teague riding my bike. Bill Warner protested us he thought we were cheating that's fine they well, tore it down in in the rain in that little shack in the center of the racetrack and they were there until like two or three in the morning and everything was legit but what but what sucked is you have to put the bike back together because you got to race it again the next day so that's uh, a little fun story uh my dad knows how to build a motorcycle uh it's proven i just didn't know how to ride it and <laughs> 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 I, I i couldn't live up to the motorcycle's potential how's that yeah, I'm pretty sure you know how to ride a motorcycle, dude. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool that, that Eddie's building motorcycles and I've uh, got some cool. He's he's got little Eddie nuggets. I love it. Um, yep. So yeah, it's yep. it's uh it's pretty cool to uh to hear that. And uh, I, sorry, I got distracted here. Somebody just came in. Uh, so yeah, loving the Eddie nuggets. And uh, what else you got, man? Oh, next week, 
we got a special one. We sure do. So a lot of my notes, a lot of my nuggets, a lot of my facts, I, I, I run by uh, the history amigos. Most, mm-hmm. most generally, I have direct contact with Bert Sumner. Um, I do get emails back and forth with Greg Pearson, but uh, the history amigos, we're going to get to know them a little bit better next week. And I think we're going to start having them on as regular guests. Um, every so often. I mean, we're not going to flood it with everybody, but uh, the History Amigos, Bert Sumner, Greg Pearson, and Bob Herrick are all coming on next week to sit down and talk history of our sport. Basically, though, this one is kind of just to get to know these guys. Set the but, stage, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. Man, like we've, like, we've talked about this for a long time. And, you know, we talk to Bert often for, you know, all the information, and, and Pearson's got his books, and uh, it's it's definitely been something that we've been tr- working on since we kind of started off the groove here and kind of learned about the history of Migos after we had Bert Sumner on. So I'm um, really looking forward to it, man, and uh, really looking forward to seeing not just next week's episode, but the ones after, because there's a lot of knowledge there, man. There's a lot of knowledge about the history of the sport, and I've always said if you don't know where you've been, you have no clue where you're going. So That's uh, right. Absolutely. It's, it, it's good to, to know that, to celebrate it, and uh, to celebrate the people that that care about that stuff too because uh it's important so um they they are very passionate they all get together uh have like a, a flat track racer reunion like at the end of january which i'm going to try to go to this year i'm not i'm not doing arena cross in 2021 or 2022 i'm sorry in january february that'll open up for a few other things uh so i'm gonna try to get together with all of them meet them in person i know i met bert i'm sure i've i've crossed paths with greg a few times but uh i would like to meet uh bob and, and there's a lot of other people, you know, that, that probably won't even know who I am. <laughs> but I, 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 I'm still a fan of everybody that's lived through our sport and raced in our sport. Um, because in reality, I'm a huge flat track fan. And I'm just lucky enough to be the one that gets to talk about it week in and week out. And uh, man, I love it. And I can't wait for next week's episode. Jeremy DeRider was a great episode. We got to learn Absolutely. more about the uh, Grand National Hooligan Championship, and we appreciate Jeremy's time. Uh, hopefully they have uh, good success down there in Florida. And uh, I can't wait to see what they do in 2022. What uh, what do you get into this weekend, bro? This weekend, what is – I've got Albany Arena Cross. Mm, uh, up in New York. All, Albany is uh, going on Saturday. I fly home on Sunday. Then I drive to Dallas to pick up Cynthia's coming to town for about eight or nine days. What? Borders open. What? Borders open. What? Borders open. The day yeah. has finally come. It is very close. Good stuff. I love it. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. almost here. Um, and, and, and you're in Charlotte for a little while, possibly going to Kentucky. Maybe we'll skip that and we're possibly going up to Pennsylvania real soon. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Or just going up to Pennsylvania and then hopping in a van and going right down to Kentucky. So uh, we'll see, man. Yeah, going up there a week early. There's a We talked a little bit about in last week's episode, the world's mm-hmm. largest swap meet. Um, so to go, go out there and hand out flyers, kind of see the lay of the land. And like you said, watch, watch all that go down the week leading up to uh, one of the coolest events I think that's going to go down in 2021. So um, You better get your ass to Walmart, buy some warm clothes. Damn right. And if you're anywhere <laughs> in the Harrisburg vicinity, you better get your ass to that track to see some badass racing um, and, that's, and support. That's, thanks, that's Thanksgiving weekend, right? Yes. After yes. 
a couple days after Thanksgiving. So you got time to plan it. Yep. Um, you don't want to sit at home, watch football all Thanksgiving. You can do that on Thursday and then go to the races the rest of the weekend. Or just DVR the football and come watch some badass flat track racing live and then go home and watch football later. I mean, there you go. There you go. Plenty of football games coming on. There's not that many flat track races around the off season, right? So you've got to take advantage of it when you can. Take it all in. All right. Cool, man. All right, bro. Tell your mom I said hi. Tell your mom I said hi. (laughs) And I'll get some kazoozles, (laughs) which are now sweet tart ropes later on. Yes. Yes. When I come through Charlotte. You got it, brother. (laughs) All right, man. Be safe. Patrons, thank you so much. All you folks who listen to our podcast, we appreciate it. Keep it on two wheels. Carter, you keep it on four wheels. And we'll talk to everybody next Friday right here on Off the Groove. Peace. You didn't say you're later. Later. There it is. It looks like you have a dead body wrapped up in your blanket behind you. I'm just, I'm they're just pi- saying. I've been, they're I've been thinking about that the whole time. I'm they're, like, they're is, pillows. Is, is somebody hiding behind you? Come on, there? I'm not done. I, I hide the dead body somewhere else, bro. Come on. <laughs>